Uh, it's, a, it's always a privilege, as I said, for me to be here uh, to worship with you guys and have, to have this privilege to uh, preach God's word uh, with you guys. If, if you could, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And uh, before we jump in, I just kind of wanted to let you know who, who I am. So uh, I am a church planting resident at our uh, local church, Sojourn. Uh, we're kind of big, uh, part of a bigger collective of Sojourn Houston churches. Uh, and the hope right now is that I would be trained up uh, by the leaders, by the pastors there to one day be sent out by Sojourn uh, to plant a new local church in Houston's East End. So those of you who don't know where East End is located, it's just east and southeast of, of downtown. So you have, uh, you have uh, what, what they're calling Edo right now, East Downtown, right? They ha- you have Eastwood, you have Second Ward, which is where my wife and I live. You have Lawndale Wayside. Uh, you have uh, Magnolia Park, Harrisburg, Manchester. You have Pecan Park, better known as in Grandel Park, to the people that live in that area. So that, that entire section uh, is just, like I said, east and southeast of downtown. So if you go 45 south and then you, you curve over to 610 east and then the bayou all the way up to 59 by Georgia Brown, that's our mission field. And that's where we live. And by God's grace, we hope to, uh, in the near future, plant a church. We've already started a missional community group, kind of like what you guys do with home groups. We call them parishes. And so we've started that there, um, and we meet in our home. And the hope is that we would just continue to live on mission in the neighborhood and see people come to uh, believe in Jesus and and receive the hope that's found in the gospel. And so um, as as you guys uh, know, uh, you guys have been walking through a series, right, in the book of Acts. Uh, And really the the book of Acts is, is a... Uh, a powerful book, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it is a historical book, though, that, that shows us what it looked like to live as a Christian in the early church, right? But not only that, um, it also can give us some, some uh, examples on, on how to live today as disciples of Jesus. And so this morning, we, we come across a powerful text, a powerful text that, that will show us how we can live this kind of uh, empowered life today in our context, in our neighborhoods, and in our city. So, so let's, jump, let's jump right in. Actually, if, if you would, I want to raise up another short prayer for us before we, we jump in. Uh, Father, we, once again, we thank you. Um, and as Mo said, Father, what a privilege it is that we, as broken people, people who have often been prone to wander, that you would use us to proclaim your excellencies, to proclaim your gospel. So we thank you. We ask that you would open up our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. In in Jesus' name, amen. And so, as I said, we'll we'll, we'll jump right into it. But I want to start with a a brief story uh, here. Speaking of street preaching, speaking of open-air evangelism, um, a few weeks ago, a friend of ours, a friend of, mutual friend of mine and Sergio's, reached out to me through a Facebook message, and, and he's, he's like, he sent me a picture of this old Bible, right? It's old, torn up, and a small Bible, and he's like, hey, bro, is this yours? I was like, what? Yeah, that's mine. That, so he found a Bible that I used to use, a small pocket Bible, back when we used to street preach like a decade ago. So I thought, I thought it was lost, and, and apparently one of those days when we went out to street preach, we used to bring out boxes of, of gospel tracts, right? And so apparently... Someone must have grabbed my Bible and threw it in that box and closed it up, and I just assumed that I lost it out in the streets. Um, but that was a, 
it's a, it's a, it's a Bible that had, had sentimental value, right? And so when he sent me that picture of that Bible, I was like, man, we got to get together, man. I got to get this Bible back. Uh, and so we did. We ended up uh, getting some lunch here right, right around the corner here in Northside. Sergio ended up showing up. And we had a good time of just kind of reminiscing, uh, remembering, like, man, all the, all, the, all the great things that God did when we were out in the streets preaching. All the, all, the, all the great things that God did in us and how he formed us and grew and matured us. Um, but it was also, for me, it was also a reminder as we, as we looked back and talked about the gospel's power and how God used um, our ragtag group of, of, of street preachers um, to preach the gospel. It was a reminder for me today to not forget about that gospel's power for me today. It was a great reminder for me to not become so civilized in my Christianity, if you know what I'm saying. To not become so... <laughs> See, sometimes we, we, we begin to grow in theology and knowledge of God and, and doctrine, and, um, and we, we become people that uh, feel like it like, like would be foolish for us to spark a conversation about Jesus with someone at the corner store because we feel like it's too, man, it's too pushy, it's too... I'll look like a fool, or I'll look like I'm uneducated, or, or whatever kind of lie we begin to, 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 to believe. We, we begin to believe that, you know, people will really be convinced of, of Christ if we somehow show how smart we are and how intellectual we are. And so that was a reminder for me on God's supernatural power through the simple preaching of the gospel. I remember when I first came to the Lord about 11 years ago, man, I, I wasn't raised in the church. I was on my way to go join a gang, and God intervened and saved me. I had no idea who this Jesus was. I had no idea what church life meant, but I knew one thing. I knew that Christ had saved me. I knew that this Jesus somehow had mercy when I had drugs in my pocket on my way to go sell them. God intervened and changed my life, and I couldn't understand what had taken place. That was enough for me to motivate me to tell others about this Jesus. And today, we're, we're going to look at a passage in this book of, of Acts that, that shows us how the early disciples and the apostles of Jesus were able to walk in such power and boldness as they continued to speak the word of God. It'll show us today, this text, how powerful the gospel is in the mouths of spirit-filled and spirit-led disciples of Jesus. And I want us to get this main truth. If you get anything this morning, I I want us to get this, that a Holy Spirit-filled church is unstoppable. Repeat it with me. A Holy Spirit church is unstoppable. Amen. So let's let's dive right in. We'll, we'll, We'll jump into Acts 4. Verses 1 through 31, um, I'll, I'll read it for us, and then I'll kind of just walk through this passage with us. So it says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with 
Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builder, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of, your, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And this this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, to give you some background, we see here in verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came greatly annoyed, right? We heard last week from Brother Mo this, uh, this, this story, right? He preached out of chapter 3 where we, we see that this crippled man was healed by the power of God through Peter, Right? And we were reminded, and Brother Mo exhorted us to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are we leaping for joy like this crippled man out of what God has done for us? And we were reminded that Peter used this opportunity, this great work that God had done, this miracle, to preach the gospel. And so 
as, as Peter is preaching this gospel in light of this man being healed, we have the religious Jewish leaders come up and listen to what Peter was preaching. And we see here that they were greatly annoyed at what they were preaching. Why? Why were they greatly annoyed? Because they were preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. See, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. But not only that, they, they were hearing that this man whom they condemned and, and sent over to be crucified, they were saying that it was that man who, that rose from the dead, and it was that man that can grant us resurrection from the dead and eternal life. So they were annoyed. So what did, what did, they, what did they do? Well, they, 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 they conspired to, 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 to capture Peter and John, right, and to put them uh, in jail that evening until they found what to do. And we see here that this story, we begin to see details about this story of this healing. And it was really uh, an example of what we saw in Acts chapter 2. When we go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 43, that, that says that the apostles were performing many miracles, signs, and wonders. Right after that description of the first early Christian church, we see this true story of this crippled man being healed. And I I believe Luke uh, may have included it here to display the gospel's power in the midst of persecution. As he he described, gave a general description of what it looked like to be a part of this church in in the early first century. It shows that God fulfills his promise to be with his people through this persecution. And we also know We also know that Peter was not shy about about calling them out, calling out the religious leaders, telling them, hey, you're the ones that handed over Jesus to be crucified. So there's this boldness that Peter is preaching with, and we'll get to that. We'll talk about his boldness later on in the sermon. But, But there's an important note that I want us to see here in this verse four. They were greatly annoyed with Peter and John, and so they put them behind bars because it was already evening. And so they, they put them there while they figured out what to do next. They're like, we'll come back in the morning and we'll question them there. So they did. They did that. And we see in verse 4, it said that those who had heard the word, so the gospel, the sermon that Peter had just preached, it says the, those who, who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So in, in Acts 2, we see 3,000 people coming to Jesus. And by chapter 4, after Peter and John were put in jail, after, after preaching the gospel, we see 2,000 more people added to that number. And, and, and why am I pointing this out? See, the, the Jewish relig- religious leaders were, were desperate to contain the spread of the gospel, the spread of this message about this, this man who... who, who proclaimed himself to be Messiah and had now risen from the grave. They were desperate to contain that message. But we know that once the pure gospel word is is unleashed and released, it it cannot return void. We know that 1 Corinthians 1.21 says that it pleased God that through the, the folly of what we preach or the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. So God has, has blessed one message and one method through whom to save people, and that's the gospel, and that's preaching the gospel. 
And so they tried to contain this movement by putting Peter and John in, in jail and questioning them and, and doing, you know, we'll see later, threatening them, but they couldn't contain the message of the gospel. While they were in, in jail, we see that 2,000 more people come to faith. And what happens here, we'll continue this morning to, to see how and why this, this powerful gospel was unstoppable. In, in verses 5 through 14, we, just, we see Peter and John questioned right, by, the, by these religious leaders. Some of them whom were guilty themselves personally for the blood of Jesus, for handing him over to be crucified. And he makes sure to emphasize this to them. So he, he calls them out. He tells them that it was you who handed over Jesus. And, and why do I point that out? Let me, let me remind us of who this Peter was. Let me remind us of who this Peter was. Before Jesus was crucified, before the Spirit filled him, Peter was a coward. Peter rejected Christ three times. Christ predicted that he would do it, and he still did it. And then he ran away in fear, denying that he even knew Jesus. So then how is it that a coward like that can be transformed into a bold witness for Christ who preaches with, with this kind of authority? It can, it can only be, brothers and sisters, through the power of the Spirit filling him and giving him boldness to do this. What a, what a great transformation that we see here in the life of Peter. We see here that when the Spirit fills us with his power, cowards become courageous. Doubters become firm believers, and all of this is done by the Spirit of God through grace. And then in verse 13, we see that uh, even the, the religious leaders responded with amazement. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and it amazed them. Why, why did it amaze them? Because it says there that they were common, uneducated men. This was a fisherman. These were, these were blue-collar folk that didn't have a degree. These guys, these guys were uneducated according to kind of the rabbis and the culture of, 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 of the Jewish um, time at that, at that period of time. They were uneducated. They were common. They didn't use fancy intellectual words. And so here they're standing before those who are educated, before those who do have all the training sitting under the best rabbis, teaching them the Torah, right, the law of God. And they hear these men speaking to them with such authority and boldness and conviction. Whereas they must have known, I, I, I imagine in my mind thinking, you know, if I place myself in the position of these Jewish religious leaders and judges, thinking, man, isn't this the same guy who, who, who rejected Jesus three times? He, he, was, he was shaken. He was... He was a coward. How is it that this uneducated common man can speak with such boldness? And they were, they were amazed. They were astonished at that. And that's an encouragement to us today, brothers and sisters. Those, those of us who, who, who may feel like, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't belong in that, in that 
culture. We don't belong to those elite people or the people that have all these degrees and education. But we know that when the, when the power of the Spirit fills you, when the power of the Spirit is empowering you, God, God uses a humbled, broken, Spirit-filled believer to proclaim His gospel. And God uses that. God is pleased to use people who know they're broken, who, who, who have humbled themselves before the throne of grace and say, Lord, use me. And this is what God was doing in Peter. God, God loves to use the least expected people to do some of his greatest works. Some of the least expected people. I know some of you can, can maybe look at yourself and say, man, this is the last place I ever thought I would be. I was the worst in the pack. How is it that the Lord saved me by sheer grace, man, by pure grace? It wasn't because you were better than the rest. It was because God had mercy on you. And with, with that, I want to I take a few minutes to, to, to highlight verse 12, what Peter said with such boldness. Because I believe that speaks when, 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 when we realize what this text is telling us. In our culture today, speaks volumes as well. Verse 12, Peter, while he was questioned, what name are you doing this through? He says, it was, it was in the name of Jesus that we did this. But he goes a step further. He says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. <laughs> what a great truth. That this, that, this, that this apostle, Peter, was speaking in front of the religious leaders who had rejected Christ as Messiah. And he tells them, there is actually salvation. Yes, we healed them in Jesus' name. But let me also tell you, you cannot be saved apart from this name as well. It is only in this name that you can be saved. And, and, and to many people today in our, in our culture, in our neighborhoods, that may sound narrow-minded, Right? To say there's salvation only in this one man, only through Christ. Brother was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That may sound narrow-minded to some people, even some of our friends. But think about it. Would you want there to be another way for salvation? If there was already a way that God made himself, would you want there to be another way? If God has already done it all for you? like someone it's like someone saying hey uh here are the keys to this brand new three-story house take it it's yours and you say nah that's too narrow no you're just going to give it to me that's the only way i can receive it if i just take it nah let me let me work for it let me go over here and let me start saving up money for the next 20 30 years i'm living paycheck to paycheck but hey i i'll try to find a way why would you want to do that if someone has already provided that for you. So it is good news to know that God has made any way at all to save sinners. He didn't have to make a way. But he chose to make a way. Every other religion is an attempt to show us how with good works we can try to reach God. So every other way that people offer 
tells us you need to do these certain things and keep doing them and maybe God will let you in. But the gospel says that God became a man in the person of his son and came to earth, lived, uh, was born perfect, then lived the perfect life in our place and then died a sinner's death in our place, on our behalf, on the cross. Christ took it upon himself. So not only did he die the death we deserved in our place, he lived the life we should have lived. So we are saved by good works, but it's by the works of Jesus. And he only calls us to receive it like you would receive those keys to that brand new house. He tells you receive it by faith and live in it, dwell in it, make your life, revolve your life around it. Make it your home. Make Christ your home. What a, what a gracious and merciful God that we serve. What a great reminder that Peter gives that there is salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus. And, that, and the Holy Spirit had pressed this truth into Peter's heart deeply. And as we, as we continue, we then see that the religious leaders are, are trying to decide what to do with the apostles. They're scared. They're scared. Because there's people that saw this healing publicly. So they're like, what do we do? If we do this, people are going to get mad at us. We want to stop the spread of this gospel, but what we don't want to play. It's like it's like politicians trying to play, right? Like, how do I how do I how do I still please th- these people while still pleasing these people over here and still get So they they were trying to play this game. Because they were so consumed with the approval of man. So God produced, God produced courage in Peter, right? God produced courage where there was cowardice and he produced courage. God also depends, God, all, God also produces dependence, and we'll see that here. We see here that there's a there's a comparison between the Jewish religious leaders and Peter. We see the Jewish religious leaders are running back and forth like a chicken with its head cut off, trying to figure out what to do to stop these disciples of Jesus from spreading the gospel. And so they, they tell them, hey, step, step outside. Let, we're going to talk amongst each other. And they talk and they, they ask each other, man, it, we can't deny that this work has taken place. People saw it. People are praising God for it. So what do we do? So we see their desperate attempt to stop the, the gospel from going forth. They, they call them back in, and, and all, they, all they can do at this point is threaten them. To say, hey, you need to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. You need to stop telling people that Christ rose from the grave. You need to stop telling people that in Christ they can find resurrection from the dead and eternal life. Stop preaching. And then Peter, as, 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 as is known, he, he's kind of witty. He's kind of... He kind of he kind of replied with a kind of a smart remark because these were these were religious leaders these were these were in a way judges of the law, right? They were they were they were questioning him to judge whether they were right or they were wrong, knowing that they had corrupt motives, right? So Peter's response to them is is this: He says, "Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge." So he, he off, the, off, off the bat, he's like, hey, listen, you guys are religious leaders, judges of the law. You, you know the law. You tell me whether it's right to listen to God or to listen to man. You make that judgment for yourself. 
So he, he, put it, he put the ball back in their court. What would you tell me, to obey God or to obey man? But then he goes on further. He says, for we cannot speak. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak about what we have seen and heard. This is one of the most clear examples here, brothers and sisters, of, of just how enslaved the, the Jewish re- religious leaders were to the approval of man, while comparing that to how captivated Peter and John had become, specifically talking about Peter in light of his rejection of Jesus before, how captivated and how devoted he had become to Jesus, how he was willing to say, you know what, in light of your threats, I am going to only speak what I have seen and heard, and that's Jesus and him crucified, and that's Jesus and the resurrection. He was willing to... um, he was willing to continue to do what God had called him to do, even though he was being threatened with his life. And as I said, this, these religious leaders could not deny that the miracle had been performed. They seemed to not care at all here about whether they were right or wrong. Their only desire at this point is to protect their reputation, their approval of other men, and their own self-made religion. And here, it's really a, a pitiful picture of how far these religious leaders were willing to go to cover up what they had done. And all they could do at this point, as I said earlier, is threaten them again, and that's what they did. So they just threatened Peter and John again and let them go because they couldn't do anything. They were bound by the approval of man. And we see on the flip side... In comparison to that, Peter was bound by devotion, singular devotion to Christ. And as I said, brothers and sisters, the Spirit produces this. The Spirit produced that in him. Apart from the power of the Spirit, Peter was a coward. But here, full of the Spirit, he's willing to be killed for the sake of preaching the good news. And then Peter and John, as we've read, they said that they can only speak about what they have seen and heard. So Peter and John, brothers and sisters, weren't preaching something that was just in a kind of a dead book. They were speaking what they had experienced. They were speaking what they had seen God do. And this, this, this kind of goes back to them being common, uneducated men. Right? They didn't try to respond to these threats with intellectual arguments. Right? They responded saying, I can only preach what I've seen and heard. You judge for yourself whether it's right to obey man over God. But for me, I'm going to preach what I've experienced. I'm going to preach what I have seen with my own too. And they kept doing that. So it, it's a call for us today as well to examine our own heart on whether or not we are seeing and hearing from God's word. So that when we do share this Christ with other people, it's coming out of a, out of a deep well, out of a, out of a well of, of experiencing God's power, God's conviction in our life, being very aware that we're needy, broken people. 
And we can tell people from that place, man, this is what the Lord has done for me. And it has, He has done it through this message, which is the good news, the gospel. Man, are we, are we, are we sharing Christ out of that place or out of an empty well is the question we need to ask ourselves when we see, when we see what Peter and John were doing here. They were sharing Christ out of that overflow. Imagine Peter, brothers and sisters, after having been, uh, com- after having rejected Christ three times, and then that day that Christ appeared to him by 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 the by the by the beach. I, I bet Peter was terrified. But the the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth to him directly was, "Peace be with you." So Peter knew how forgiven he had been. Peter knew all the things he had done. He he knew all the jacked up stuff he had done after becoming a Christian. This is after being a disciple of Jesus. And after experiencing that kind of forgiveness, mercy, and grace, the Spirit used that to to show him, no, I don't want to go that route again. I'm not going to deny Christ. I'm not going to cave in to these people's threats. I'm going to preach boldly. If it means that I die, I die. But I'm going to preach boldly. And that, that could only have been produced by the Spirit. So let's move on. So we see in verses 23 through 31 that after Peter and John are threatened again and released, they go back with the rest of the disciples, right? And they they go back and gather together with the other disciples and the apostles, and they tell them everything that happened. And they also tell them the threats that these religious leaders um, gave to them. And and then the next part in this story, brothers and sisters, is pivotal. It's, It's one of the most, if not the most important points that I want us to see this morning, and that if we don't get this, we think we miss the entire point of this text. See, right after Peter and John tell the rest of the disciples and the apostles that they had been threatened to no longer preach in the name of Jesus, what do we see that the believers' knee-jerk response to that was? When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Verse 24, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. They began to pray. Their knee-jerk response, brothers and sisters, was to get on their knees and, 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 and raise up prayers and supplications, asking God to come through for them. And I can't stress enough the importance of prayer in, in our life, right? I'm learning that as as I'm going it's it's just it's so important to not forget that we don't rely on ourselves we rely on the spirit so while Christ through his spirit produces courage he produces singular devotion he also produces dependence and we see that here brothers and sisters God had already given them initially in chapter 2 the spirit of God he had filled them and God was doing a great work. And, and I believe that Luke is writing this in and wanting us to see in between the lines the, the dependency that God was producing in his people, brothers. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of threats, in the midst of danger, their first response 
was not to try to defend their rights. Their first response was to fall on their knees and ask, Sovereign Lord. Lord, we come before you because only you can come through for us now. And that's what they did. They didn't respond uh, by trying to flee in fear. No, they, they fell before the Lord and offered up prayers. And the prayer that they offered, brother can, brothers and sisters, can, can speak greatly to us today. They prayed first by addressing God as sovereign Lord. So in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of them hearing that they had been threatened and, 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 and uh, were told to not speak in the name of Jesus anymore, they reminded each other in their prayer by, by calling God sovereign, reminding themselves that God is fully in control over the chaos. And that they reminded themselves that God is in control even in the midst of persecution, that nothing takes him by surprise, and they used the persecution of Jesus as prime example when they quoted from the Old Testament scriptures in verses 25 and 26 where it says that the, all the rulers of uh, the Gentiles and the, and the people and the kings of the earth and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, which is talking about Jesus. So they were reminding each other, God is sovereign. God is in control over us in the midst of this chaos. And we know this because God was in control even when Jesus was handed over to be crucified. But not only that, Jesus was handed over by God's decree. It says that they were reminding each other that this is the plan that had been predestined to take place by God. And in light of that, they asked God to look upon the threats of the Jewish leaders and to grant them the ability to continue to speak the word with boldness. So God produced this dependency in them and they asked God not to remove the persecution but to give them the ability, the power to continue to speak the word with boldness. And we know as we talk about the Spirit producing courage um, as we get close to uh, finishing this morning, we know that, that the Spirit produces courage. It does produce dependency. It does produce singular devotion. But I know, I know from my life, I know I can look at myself even this morning and even look back on this week and say, I know where I have failed here. I know where times where I should have probably prayed, but I depended on my own gifting or my own ability. I know that sometimes I cower in fear of other people's approval. I know there's been times in my life where God was calling me to share the gospel and I didn't do it. So I look at this and I see that the Spirit does produce this, brothers and sisters, and that the Spirit produced it in the early church. But I don't want us to also um, I, um, idealize this passage because next week we see, we see very quickly that although God was producing all of this, there was still brokenness that was trying to infiltrate the church. The only one, brothers and sisters, who walked perfectly in courage, in devotion, and in utter dependence on the Father was Christ. So where we fail, brothers and sisters, we can come before the throne of grace without condemnation, but run to him for mercy and plead him that he would fill up in us what is lacking. And we know that we find grace in him, and we know that um, 
when we see in our life that an area um, of our life is lacking, it's not meant to condemn us. It's not meant to produce condemnation. But it's meant to produce a greater, a greater response, a greater gratitude for what Christ has done for us because he was perfect. We were broken. He stepped in and filled that gap. So as we, as we ask God to fill us with his power, as we ask God to fill his church with his power, we must, we must cling to the perfection of Christ knowing that where we do fail and where we will fail in the future, God has already made a way. He's already forgiven us. He's already equipped us and already opened up the door for us to enter his throne room. He promised in, in Matthew 16 that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So brothers and sisters, as we depend on him, as we kneel before him and ask him to give us of his Holy Spirit, of his power, for courage and for devotion and for dependency, we know that he has already promised us the victory that the church will prevail against the gates of hell. A Holy Spirit-filled church, as I said at the beginning, is unstoppable. And it does produce this courage, devotion, and dependence in His people as we cling to Jesus for the One who has already done all of this for us. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we, we are broken. Father, we are needy. We are weak. And as we look at the boldness and the power that you gave to your early church, God, we, we look at that and we know that they were also broken. We know that they were also sinners. And all of us from the early church to our present day church, family across the world, We've never trusted in our own courage, in our own dependency, in our own strength, but we've trusted in the perfection of Christ. And we thank you for that gift that you've given us, like that free house that someone told us, here are the keys, you live in it. Receive it freely. Now we get to reside in Christ as our refuge, as our rock, as a gift. We thank you for that. We pray for your power. We do pray that you fill us with your spirit. You continue to grow us in walking in power and boldness to be witnesses for your kingdom, witnesses on mission to share this hope of the gospel that someone one day shared with us. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've extended to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.